Um, I think one of the core themes that's been coming out throughout various sessions at the Children's Media Conference is never underestimate your audience, and um, that was noted by the keynote speaker, Michael, from Vsauce yesterday, and it's definitely a mantra that we follow from a Nickelodeon perspective, and it's so pertinent to kids. You can never underestimate kids. Um, we've got a commitment from a Nickelodeon perspective to be everywhere that kids are and to make digital content accessible. We're obviously a, a commercial channel, but from a, a digital perspective, we are a free platform. So we've got um, that in terms of the sites that we, we run and also the Nick app, which is another free resource for, for kids. Um, we really want to kind of support, challenge and be part of, of kids' lives from nappies to skinny jeans and that's a kind of mantra that we work through. So we're, we're at kids' journeys from, you know, when they're two to when they're 12 um, and I think that's really, really important. Our, our research, you know, we, um, we put a lot of grounding in, in our research um, and it tells us that, that parents really want educational content around characters that their kids love. Um, it's almost a way to, to get that content um, and get some educational resources without their kids actually knowing that that's what's, what's happening. Um, a couple of products that I just wanted to talk about in a little bit more detail that really show our, our commitment to this um, and, and back up really what we've learned from our research studies are um, our Nick Jr. Leap platform, uh, which was bedded around the early years foundation stage framework. So um, not only do we take great content from our, our US colleagues, we also make a lot locally from a digital side of things. Um, and we want to be grounded within the framework that the UK educational curriculum is based around. So all of the worlds in, in LEAP, from the problem-solving world to maths world, are bedded around those fundamentals from the early years foundation stage. We've thrown in um, another world which helps, um, has helped me as a, a parent with a, a toddler um, friendship world which is based around the, the SEAL framework. And with LEAP what we also did was um, get an educational consultant in to make sure that it wasn't just a surface level platform, that it actually really tackled the core issues um, that kids were facing in their primary years education. From an older kid's perspective, obviously, you know, we, we want to be part of, of their lives and, um, you know, with the new changes to the, the school curriculum taking place in September of last year, um, we decided to, to make a move into coding. So we came up with a, a concept, Code It, to really get kids in, engaged with coding, but in a way that they would understand and that they would love because it's about creating bespoke animations um, centered around their favorite characters, which really sort of helps get their interest into, uh, into products like this. Um, we did it, you know, based on a progressive learning age, so you can come in from a basic, um, a basic 
point um, with a basic editor. There are lots of tutorials. We put video tutorials. We had a whole glossary um, and extra, extra help. And then there are graduated levels of dif difficulty. So they move into the advanced editor. Um, and now we've also kind of hidden secret little Easter eggs. So they've got to know what they're doing um, within the tool to be able to get even more out of it. So that's another thing that we've kind of introduced um, later on in, in the code lifecycle. Um, from a, a leap perspective as well, you know, we really kind of wanted to, to make sure that we were hitting all of the kids' ages from two to seven. So leap grows with you as a child. You kind of, you know, you, you put in your age as you start and it, it sends you kind of um, the right gaming mechanics to be able to kind of progress through the journey. So um, you start off at, at one level and you'll end up um, as you go along depending on you know, the questions that you're answering there to a, to a higher level towards the, the end. Um, I think you know, we, we do it actually through most of our, our digital products. Um, we kind of try and, and keep in learning. Um, so from our colour tool we've added in a, a mixing palette. Um, I think I'm running out of time but yeah Basically. Thanks, Izzy. That, that's really interesting. Um, Dan, from your work in, in Ardman, I mean, have you got anything to follow on just, just for a minute about why, why you guys work in education? Am I, am I allowed to ask a question back? Of course you are. Because what I find interesting, um, it, uh, mainly mirroring internally in Ardman, the murky areas of, of why you know, we do these things. Um, and I th assume there's some kind of gradation between altruism and the fact that we act like people in a company and the reason we do this stuff is because we want to make the world a better place and then need and profit because uh, other people need this stuff to happen. From your perspective, you talked because you, you seem to talk across all of those, like, yeah. uh, it, I know part of the question was why is it free, um, uh, where, where does that fit, where do, you, where do you think it fits within your company? Um, I, you know, as I said, we want to make this content accessible for our audience and to really reflect their lives now. You know, we, we position ourselves and we are the kids' experts. So, you know, from everything that we've learned with our research studies, it, parents actually are demanding more and more from broadcasters in terms of the content that we're putting out there. And it's really important for us to be part of kids' lives. Great, thank you. Um, so, so, Catherine, it might be interesting to hear from you and your perspective at Edcoms, because I think you come at it from a slightly different place than maybe the rest of the panel. So, um, why, can you tell us a bit about Edcoms and then also why are businesses interested in engaging in education and what do, they, and what do educationists stand from engaging with those brands? Um, so, yeah, hi, I'm Catherine and I work for Edcoms. We're an education communications agency and we help to bring learning to life for a wide variety of clients from the corporate, government, charity and not-for-profit sectors. And we tend to find that those clients that we work with do so because they want to deliver an educational impact, they want to deliver a societal impact, but naturally they have to ensure that it also delivers on their own business objectives. So I think there are four areas why they specifically focus on um, investing in education. Firstly, it's about driving their own corporate social responsibility agendas. There's an increasing drive to act as a responsible business, both at a local, regional, national and international level. And education can be a tangible and trackable tool to ensure that you're really delivering a strong reach and impact. Um, so whether that be about developing young people's education skills and numeracy and literacy or connecting young people more effectively with their community, we see that as a priority area for business. 
The second is naturally the business um, impact. Clearly what they do has to relate to their corporate values and, and their commercial objectives. And we tend to find that businesses you, um, work in education and look to raise awareness of their brand, improve perception and reputation, rather than specifically driving product sales. Thirdly, there's a really strong focus on preparing young people for work. All of the brands we work with are very, very interested in ensuring that they have the right future people in their business. So they need to ensure that young people have the skills, the confidence and the interest in working within their sector. So particularly within the science, technology, engineering and maths sector at the moment, there's a shortage of young people wanting to work in that sector and businesses see investing in education as a way of achieving that. And finally, another growing area is around employee engagement. Um, businesses are really keen and can really see the benefit of taking their employees out into schools and encouraging them to work with young people. And they see that benefit, firstly, because it increases their pride in working for that company, but also because it's a real boost in morale for those employees. They feel that they are helping to inspire young people and helping to share their knowledge and expertise with them. From an educationalist point of view, I think, again, there are four areas that educationalists why they really benefit from investment from, from businesses, from what we found. The first is that brands can really help to bring learning to life. It can help to put into practice the theories that young people learn in the classroom. So, for example, we've, we work with GSK on their GSK science education program. And there's a, se a section of that program called Extraordinary Beings. And that explores the limits of the human body. And that is taught through the use of GSK ambassadors, such as Beth Tweddle and Jensen Button. So it's using a real-life example to bring, to bring learning to life for young people. The second area is that um, businesses can bring new insights, new approaches, and new products into the education environment, which can help to enrich learning. So an example of that is we've done, recently worked on a pilot with Samsung who wanted to look at how you could use their, their equipment to en enhance and enrich learning. So we worked on a pilot with them where we delivered technology to schools and then assessed the impact that that was having on young people's learning and aspirations. The third area is again about the world of work. Teachers tell us time and time again that they want people to come into the classroom to educate young people on what work is really like, what work environments are really like, what the day-to-day -day, day -day life of people who attend work is like. Um, and also, they tell us time and time again that young people are intimidated by work environments because they're not familiar to them. So if we use a traditional office environment, running a project which enables young people to go into an office can be hugely beneficial and can break down that first barrier. So two examples of projects we've run in that place. We do a secondary project with KPMG called Work Ready. And this is about challenging perceptions of accountancy and developing young people's employability skills to enable them to go into accountancy in the future. So we run an interactive workshop which encourages them um, to d develop their CVs, but also to think about what they'd wear to a job interview, how they present themselves at a job interview. So very interactive and experiential. A primary example of that is a project that we run with E.ON called Be a Scientist for a Day. So this is an in-school workshop where young people can explore what science really is and what being a scientist is really about and undertake challenges <laughs> and games related to that. And again, that's challenging the perception of science and encouraging young people to think about it in, in an exciting and fun way. And finally, educationalists, uh, we find from our uh, work with teachers, really appreciates it when brands can bring, the, bring access to money can't buy opportunities for their young people. These can um, cover a variety of things. We run the um, Olympic and Paralympic education program called Get Set. 
and we find that by taking Olympic athletes into schools, it gives young people the opportunity to interact with people and learn from their experiences and stories from, from directly from their role models. And we do similar by running Google Hangouts with athletes, physiotherapists, games organisers, so that they can learn from them. Similarly, we use Olympic and Paralympic assets, such as the games, the build-up to Rio, the torch, the kit, um, in order to en enhance young people's learning experience. So that, in summary, is some of the areas which we think, some of the ways in which we think businesses and education both benefit from this partnership. Thanks, Catherine. That was really interesting. Um, Greg, from your point of view of using um, kind of Raster Mouse in schools, what are some of the benefits that you you've seen? I think um, probably the, the biggest benefit is we've we've actually seen uh, firsthand how the show and how the characters in the show actually really interact with kids beyond the screen and, and the elements of, of the show that they really love and, and actually what the show can potentially bring to them beyond the television show um, itself. It's a privilege to go into a classroom um, and every classroom is different and I think to, to be able to go into a classroom and see what, what the kids are doing and, and, and to see the issues that, that, they, that they might, might be having. Um, we, we were doing some work in one school where a boy had been potentially excluded from the next rest of our session because of behaviour and, and actually Michael, um, a co-creator, made it, made it a, a kind of an issue to talk to the school to see, see if there's a way of actually including him in the next session because, because actually, I think everybody felt that, that there was something to be to be, be to be benefited from, um, and therefore you could see the issues that, that, that um, pa um, parents and, and teachers are, are having in terms of the classroom, uh, and, and in, in many ways, kind of enlivens what we, what, we, what we can do with a brand. So interesting. Uh, yeah, using it as a punishment is. Well, um, it's kind of um, withholding an activity yeah. from, from, from a child who's maybe having a kind of difficulties in, in a traditional classroom environment, but actually giving, giving them uh, an opportunity to participate in something that they actually, we sensed they were going to get something out of, yeah. was, was, kind of, was kind, of, kind of interesting. Obviously, you can do it with the, school, the schools kind of say so, but, but for us to be able to have that conversation, and, and, you, and, 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 and certainly some of the, 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 the special needs, um, special educational needs um, children that we've seen come through the programme, um, we've got reports from, te from teachers where um, children that weren't necessarily bonding with other kinds of material have actually kind of become group leaders and kind of class leaders on material, um, much to the kind of the shock of, of the teachers at times. Yeah, and I'm sure a big part of that is to do with the with the strength of the characters that that, that you've got, and I know that's something Ardman, uh, Dan, you, you do a lot with kind of Sean the Sheep and, and Timmy Time. And what what do they let you do that you can't that you wouldn't be able to do without those characters in education? So I mean, so so Ardman doesn't directly have education as part of its uh, kind of remit as part of its mission statement, uh, but we do have a desire to inspire. Um, and so, so because of that, I think, and, and many other reasons, which we started getting into there, and I'm sure we'll get into later, um, we, are, we have a plethora of characters that emerge in a number of different ways and end up trying to uh, impart knowledge to, to many different generations. Uh, up on the screens, I know it's flicking through a number of different images. There's some of the projects we've worked with, uh, focusing on Sean, Sean the Sheep and Timmy. Uh, with Sean, there is a, one around a sustainable city, so the green capital has come to, uh, came to Bristol, Bristol Green Capital, and worked with them to build a, uh, a microcosm, a little mini world uh, full of these poor animals that have lost their homes. And uh, Sean and his crew 
have to help build up a, um, a, a city and find places for them, but build it to make them happy and to make them sustainable. Uh, we've been working, I know last year we discussed Sean's Game Academy, which is a project where uh, we introduced a load of assets to the environment scratch for kids to build their own computer games. Uh, and that's been do doing really well. There's a, one, of the, one of the pitchers, one of the winners there as well. Uh, and then Learning Time with Timmy is a program, educational program, which is happening uh, internationally and uh, has centers that have opened up where the brand is being used uh, to help teach. Um, and then we've also been creating an educational app. So there's kind of all these different varieties of spaces in which we're doing it. Now I'm part of the digital team, which means that I get an opportunity to actually construct things which are uh, more directly educational. Interactive products tend to have a, a heart to them which involves change and changing in behavior. And so, so we get involved in that. And our linear content, I know very much so, it's about entertainment, but still through that we've ended up doing educational stuff. But then the third way is obviously as a license, uh, licensed IP, we have these characters that, that are hosts and uh, communicators for these educational programs. But to think about like why, so why do you need them at all, why do you need any character at all? Uh, the, the most obvious one, I think the one we have to start with is reach. I think that at the beginning of every conversation, uh, tends to be around the audience and the access to audience that we have. You know, media is, is, is uh, everywhere and is intense and is coming dripping from every single object uh, that, that exists in the world. It won't be too long until, you know, your, your knife and fork have some form of media download going on at the same time. And so kids' minutes and adults' minutes, everyone's minutes are being crammed full of media. Um, and you'll notice that, therefore, audiences and having a, attention of an audience is very, very valuable. I think you can see that with some of the sales of companies that have happened uh, where they've uh, sold with hugely inflated prices, nothing, nothing to do with uh, the actual money that they're generating, but everything to do with the fact they have an audience. And so audiences are valuable, and uh, when you are trying to get hold of someone, uh, get, try and get hold of a particular demographic, uh, if you go to a brand, they give you access to that. You know, Sean's just released his film, it's on his fifth series, I think there were about 5.5 million uh, Facebook fans and, and 170 territories around the world, and so it's uh, so people. The first, I, th I believe, a lot of the time, the first um, uh, reason is that they come for some access to that, or, or we're doing it because of that. Um, but then that doesn't, that isn't a kind of an open gate because the marriage between the content that you're doing or the partners that you're finding. And the uh, and Sean or, or Timmy or wherever the brand is is massively vital. It's very very important to get right and can uh, destroy all aspects of it. The ability to educate and the brand if done incorrectly. Um, and so although although access is something, the that that partnership and that marriage is really important. Uh, and trying to find the place where those two things gel. Uh, I was thinking about this for this talk, and I thought about the um, the Sean's Game Academy. So that came really from a kind of personal passions within our department, the interactive department, uh, of wanting to make this change, affect this change. It was really driven, but it was when we started talking with Nomnet um, that we found a way of kind of uh, of getting this out there. Um, and when I thought about it, I thought, well, actually, coding and Sean the Sheep don't necessarily seem to gel. So why is it that that felt right? And it was, it was something to do with the heart of it, the fact that at its heart, um, uh, we were helping people, we were supporting people, and we were helping them make playful things, make games. And Sean was very playful, so we found a place in which that gelled. Um, but going past reach, which is... Uh, uh, 
is, is, feels a little cold, um, is actually uh, is, is so many other reasons, and in particular to do with the way in which characters and story impart knowledge and how successful they are doing it. If anyone has been involved in any form of very dry teaching uh, uh, or being, being taught by someone very dry who has no personality, you'll know that being taught devoid of personality is very, very difficult um, and you don't really engage with stuff. And even down when you, um, and this is, you, know, you can approach this kind of instinctively or scientifically, because I know there's tons of research around this, but even down to uh, the physical engagement of locking onto a face and therefore locking into a, a point in which the screen and therefore kind of relaxing um, that part of your brain so that the rest of it is receptive to taking in information. You know, even that, just down to that level, having a face on a screen creates personality and creates engagement. And then story, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer that story is a hugely powerful aspect of humanity and it's a tool that's actually been created to help impart complex information. Uh, there's a theory that uh, I may have said here before, I hope not, um, but uh, with, uh, that's, that's a, a bastardized version of Chris Crawford's um, uh, theory, and it's to do with the fact that if you had a, uh, that th stories have been evolved because to get across complex information, and most things we're teaching these days are complex, it's not fact A, B, C, D, and E, it's the interconnection between all those facts and how they relate to each other and how all those things kind of sit within the mental model that's going on. And so if you try and sit in front of someone and just go, here's fact A, here's fact B, here's C, here's D, here's A, it doesn't, you know, like, like people switch off before they've got to the end. But storytelling, um, and, and we're forced to do that because time exists and so we can't instantly communicate everything in one go. Um, but storytelling allows us to talk about A and then maybe a bit of C and then go back to B and then we do a bit of E and actually that big climax at the end when you get that kind of uh, eureka moment is the joining up of all of these complex facts and allow us to communicate like really complex subjects such as love and honour and all these things that don't have a single factual thing to say. And so stories um, and character, uh, you know, w without them we would have, we would be, uh, the tools in which to impart information would be so much less. Thanks Dan. Uh, we'll definitely come back, I'm sure, to that vital to get it right point you made as well, uh, as I know that's one of the things that we talk about a lot. But uh, I'd just like to ask Susie actually a follow-up about that, because obviously from a channel perspective, you've got the characters, but you've also got the brand of, of Nickelodeon. So what does that let you do in education that you might not be able to do otherwise, and how do you use the roster of characters that you've got? I think, you know, really sort of feeding off what, what Dan's been speaking about, it, it helps us demystify um, some of the educational curriculum um, because I, I sort of, you know, I read through the whole computing <laughs> curriculum to, to try and understand what it meant. It's really, it's really complex, but we wanted to create a tool with Codit that demystified that for kids and enabled them to take part in a natural way with their favourite characters. Characters. Um, I think, you know, from, from our perspective, we also learn an awful lot about kids and what they're doing through their kind of engagement with the tools that we're putting out, out there. I've been so surprised with the animations that kids have created through Codit that, I mean, I have to say, I, I know exactly how it was built and, and what it can do, and yet 
80 to 90% of the animations that come through from kids are way better than the ones I can create myself. So, you know, they're, they're, they're extraordinary. And, and those animations now, we're actually looking at ways that we can use them across our, our digital platforms. So, you know, giving a, a, another reward for their interaction with, you know, some of our, our products to be able to, to see that animation in real life across both the, the site and the app. And I think that that really kind of helps bring them bring them in more. Definitely. Um, we, we talked a little bit about how you know the benefits of using characters, but it might be interesting to look at it from the other side. So, um, Greg, could you tell us a little bit about kind of what you're doing with with Rastamouse in schools, and also some of the risks associated with using that character, and maybe what you're what you're doing to kind of mitigate that. Yeah. Um, um, so, it, so in terms of risk, I think in, in hindsight, with the journey we've taken, um, there's very little risk for for Rastamouse being there at the moment. Uh, there's a couple of points I'll touch touch on that we spoke about earlier that, um, that it's worth coming back to. But in, in, in many ways, uh, we've kind of taken a bit of a slow journey to kind of get to where, to where we're at, and the journey is still very much uh, in progress. So uh, Rastamouse kind of was involved in schools and museums and libraries long before we kind of got to television um, with co-creator Michael D'Souza um, doing a lot of reading projects in schools. And I think seeing Michael read and seeing the interaction with kids was one thing that spurred us on in terms of kind of helping him kind of get the project onto screen. At the point of launch, there was kind of quite a lot of noise about um, the brand, um, but as we kind of came through that, we kind of noticed something, something in the office where um, <coughs> classroom teachers were sending in stories um, that they'd worked on independently, nothing to do with us, kind of based on, on work that they'd done in the classroom um, using Rastermouse as a story tool. We were being approached by a couple of exam boards about including Rastermouse in, 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 in education syllabuses. And there are various other approaches to, 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 to Michael and to us and, and, and to the, the, the wider entity about involving ourselves in education. So we're, kind of, so we were kind of thinking about how do we extend this without necessarily kind of um, uh, treading on, on, the, on Michael's toes in terms of what he was already doing. And um, so that I think there was a sense of that, that there was a place and, and the need to kind of explore um, uh, the, 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 the education world. Music's very much in, in, in our DNA and it, it's very much in the DNA, I think, of everybody in the team and, and the show has a certain rhythm even when there's um, kind of no tune. We were, had very strong associations with um, um, e e EMI um, on the publishing on the record side and they, have one, they had at the time one of the, one of the, uh, the, the most incredible CSR teams who was um, connected with the Music, uh, the Music Sound Foundation. And, and so we started to get this notion of extending um, the reading work in, in, into, into music. And we kind of sat down with them and they, they gave me um, um, some very simple advice. And, 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 and the advice was never do a one-off. Um, and they didn't want to talk to us if, if all we were talking to was about doing a one-off. They, um, they gave us advice about doing it properly and making sure that we were catering to the needs of the national curriculum and to the needs of teachers in, 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 in schools. Um, and, and if, if working with the um, CSR team at EMI, working with the, what's now the Triborough Music Hub in, in, in the west of London, and, and working with uh, a composer educationalist called uh, Sally Greaves, we, we happened upon um, a project called the Rocksteady Reggae School. And, and the Rocksteady Reggae School um, used Sally's knowledge it used our assets and our, our kind, of, um, kind of connection with, 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 with a growing audience. And we built um, um, a 10-week um, program of timetabled music lessons. 
Um, and and, we, and during that 10 weeks, we, we, we chose a pilot school in North Kensington, and uh, we took in classroom sets of ukuleles, bongos, um, percussion instruments, and we, we, we helped funds to put in um, a, a, um, Sally into the school um, for 10 weeks, and uh, effectively, we, we took over the music timetable. Um, with, uh, with a program that, that, were, that was essentially sold in, um, sold to the school as, as, a, as a music program, but something that had amazing kind of cross-curricular uh, potential in terms of arts, crafts, um, some uh, overlap into maths and, and, and accounting, and, and an obvious extension in, into the reading. So in 2012, we, we ran this project um, um, with, with the determination to, if, if it went nowhere else, to leave a legacy of instruments and teaching um, in the school. And I think what we found in that period was, was uh, just an utterly amazing response, first from the kids in terms of what we were able to do and actually genuinely give them a musical experience. I think at the time in London we were probably the only project that were working with um, early years in Key Stage 1 actually putting instruments into the hands of children beyond straight kind of singing, singing projects. Um, but I think probably one of the biggest reactions we had was, um, uh, was, was, was from, from the teachers and, and, and how some non-musical teachers within the school kind of felt empowered to kind of take um, our assets and, and having kind of realised they had to stand in front of their own class and kind of perform, how, how they kind of grew and, and, and kind of got an extra kind of strength. So um, through 2013-14, we've expanded that project and are working with a number of different schools and a number of boroughs across London and also in Salford in, in Manchester, and also developing in parallel a one-day version of the project, which still has um, educational um, values at its heart, but is, is a little bit more e easy to, uh, to, to, to make happen. And, and we're now at the point where we're actually looking, because the different schools and different authorities around the country work in very different ways, we're now developing that project and talking to partners at a music hub level, at a local authority level, about how we can, can use our assets and what we've learned over the last couple of years to, to, to put music lessons using Raster Mouse in, in, into school um, at the, the early years and key stage one level. That's, that's really interesting. It sounds like kind of the main, the main thing for you guys then has been that slow journey and building it up not, not too quickly, making sure that everyone's... Yeah, because I think um, that there was a danger early on that you take, uh, you take Rastamouse into school and because uh, he's attached to a timetable lesson, does he suddenly become work rather than fun? And I think, I think, I think we know now that, that, that there's, there's no, as long as the, the materials are good and you maintain the energy of the show, there's, there's, no, there's no chance of kind of losing, losing the fun. Um, with a good set of um, um, classroom materials and good lesson, lesson plans, we're kind of maintaining, maintaining control of how the brand wants to be um, within the school. Um, I, I, it'd be interesting to kind of open this out. Obviously, there's an element, and, and I guess one, one of the dangers for, for everybody here is that in, in terms of how education schools kind of treat our brands and, and how IP exists in the education world at the moment, um, um, how it gets adopted by kids of all levels into their projects and, 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 and how education and the media are, are going to um, move forward. Because in, in, in some ways, by putting yourself into the education world, you are pro we are propagating the notion that our brands and our content are, are, are more available even more freely. And, and ultimately, the, 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 the difficult thing with anybody in education is finding what other sources of funding so we can actually give the kids the growth and the learning and, 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 and the experiences that we want them to have. Well, we're about to open it up for, for open questions, but just before we do, uh, while we're on risks, um, 
Catherine, so for Edcoms, you, you work with quite a lot of large corporate brands. Are there any particular risks there, you know, accusations of greenwashing, that sort of thing that you need to <laughs> be aware of, and how do you mitigate that? Um, I, think, I think one of the things we have to bear in mind at all times is the fine line between de delivering an education programme using a brand and selling products specifically, and always ensuring that whatever we're doing delivers clear educational benefit to our key audiences is crucial. Similarly, here we've been talking about high-quality entertainment brands. We've also got high-quality uh, other global brands with whom we work. And if they're so high-quality, we have to ensure that the, the, the education offer that they create is also high-quality. And linked to that, also ensuring that the offer is credible. So schools would absolutely understand why Raster Mouse is, is, is investing and supporting music education. Our work with Boots Sultan, they would understand why we're promoting some safety messaging, Dove self-esteem messaging. Um, but you have to ensure that, that teachers can see that's credible. I think in order to minimise risk, working extremely closely with teachers is, is essential. We work with several thousand, we've got a cohort of several thousand teachers to whom we can turn if we want to seek advice on, on an initial concept or on, um, or on a fit where, where something would fit within the curriculum. We also ensure that there are clear learning outcomes and curriculum links throughout so that it is relevant and usable for teachers. And finally, monitoring impact, so always seeking um, a sort of feedback on, on, on the positioning of your programme and ensuring that it remains relevant to teachers as their priorities change. Thanks. Okay, well, we'll open it up now to, to questions from the audience. I think we've got a couple of roving mics, so please, hands up. Hi, um, my name is Alex. Uh, I'm, I'm from a, a little 2D animation studio. And there's only five of us, so we're, we're kind of babies in this game. Um, but we, uh, this is a, a sort of question directed um, at Dan. Um, the, the other day I was um, at a, a college and we were looking to recruit some, um, some graduates. And, uh, and we had the, the nicest compliments. Someone came up to me and said, oh, you're from Arcus Animation. You're the guys with the ethics. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my heart. Um, because that's something that I've always really admired about Ardman. Um, just, you know, something, everything you do with the Bristol Children's Hospital um, and everything, like you say, it seems to have a heart to it. Um, I was a kid with a Sean Sheep backpack in the 90s. Um, so uh, what I was going to ask is, um, what are some things um, that Ardman, is there something that's like a red flag, some things that Ardman shies away from when you're looking to create new opportunities, especially because the digital department um, in the last what, ten, 10 years or so, something like that, um, you guys have gone into the commercials and the stuff that um, you do for the, is it the fit, fit for the government with the... Uh, change for life. That's the one, um, and things like that. Is, is there anything that comes to you as an offer that you think this won't really fit in the Ardman family because we want to make sure our, our ethics and morals are at the heart of like, like everything we do and it comes across so clearly. So. Well, um, uh, gambling and sex. Right, <laughs> write that down. But, um, Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a really tricky line because we're a commercial company and you get bigger and bigger and bigger and so more people come and join the family and they've all got mortgages and families and you know, the, uh, uh, I don't know if anyone's read Creativity <laughs> Inc. Um, but it, uh, uh, by uh, the, guy, the Pixar guys, but they talk about the same thing: um, uh, the, the um, monster and the, uh, the monster and the ugly baby. But the monster they're referring to is this: yeah, the more successful you are, the bigger your monster becomes. It has to keep being fed 
uh, stuff and, and so it does get difficult sometimes um, but there are some really clear lines and then there's probably some murkier lines as well and uh, uh, there's constant soul searching so over the last few years we've gone back and started looking at our values and trying to make sure you know is it still the same um, and those values include the kind of content we create and the way we try and exist and they help you look at the project that's coming in and balance it uh, against um, you know against all of those things is, is it correct it does it feel like Ardman um, and uh, can we can we all be happy doing this um, you know and, and there's it's a it's a tightrope there are um, uh, choices made that I know that not the whole company will be happy about um, but then uh, there's things that they also uh, uh, enable um, great things to happen as well and one of the things so you kind of just have to have to walk a complex tightrope all the time to try and be as good as, uh, as possible. No, no magic easy answer. Just try and be the best person you can, <laughs> I guess. Okay, great. Uh, any other questions for our excellent panel? Yes, over here. Hi, my name's Amanda. I'm from the National Media Museum in Bradford. Um, and it's not really a question, it's more a statement of agreement. And to say that the National Media Museum's been engaging with big brands for the last three years, really. And um, earlier this year, particularly, we worked with Ardman Animation around the time of the Shaun the Sheep launch. And the way that we, um, of course, learning is our primary objective for a museum. And one of the ways we, and the reasons we've been working with big brands is to bring that packaging, those, that IP, those assets together with, in our case, a STEM agenda, science, technology, engineering, and maths, and deliver learning by stealth. Um, we, we bring those two because we know that putting up dry science isn't really going to um, engage our visitors. So we put them together with these lovely assets and it, it works, it's brilliant. We offer experiences that no other certainly museum can offer because of the relationships we have with the likes of Ardman. And nods of agreement. Okay, uh, next. Anyone else? Yes, just over here. Hi, uh, Sherry. I'm with the Center for Media and Information Literacy at Temple University. And I'm wondering if anybody is doing any project connected to media literacy, if that's a topic that has that you've considered as sort of a CSR approach? I'm, I'm not currently aware of anything that, that we're um, working on. There are, um, I think, a number of projects which will focus on sort of developing young people's communication skills, as opposed to rather media literacy itself, because of the link to employability. Um, but I do think it's an opportunity for more, I think there's a gap, a, a, a big enough gap in the market there for more brands and businesses to, to be investing in that particular area. Great. Any more hands? Yes. Hi, Sandra from Susan I just wondered if you had any feedback from parents on brands in school and how they feel about it. Um, definitely a couple of schools that I've actually, actually been to um, hands-on in, in projects. Um, um, the school have kind of welcomed um, the 10-week project with open arms because uh, the schools we've been in were having problems getting parents to cross the threshold. Those parents were at the school gates at the end of the day, quite often making demands but not necessarily coming into the school to see their kids doing, doing the work. And, and when uh, we, we've done projects where we've kind of almost turned a school on its head where we ended up with the, low, with the youngest kids in the school performing to the older kids in the school with 200 parents at the back of the room. And, and um, one of the reasons why the, the school was interested in, in, the, in, the, in the project was because it got the parents in to see what the kids were doing. And once, once the parents interested in that, then the school's making a connection so that 
the parent can help with the reading, can help with what the child is supposed to be learning. I think um, one, one, of the big, one of the biggest issues that, uh, that I think we have as a society is just putting your kid in the school and just, just hoping that the school does its job. I think finding means that the parents can bond with the educational material is, is really, really important going forward if, if, if we're going to kind of help schools with tight budgets and, and with social challenges kind of achieve what we, what, what we all want the schools to achieve. Susie, have you had much feedback from parents? From... Yes, um, so we announced um, CODIT within First News, um, so the free paper that goes into to all schools, and we had feedback from First News and, and a number of other people that said that that, that article actually, you know, kids were fighting over the magazine just to read that article to, you know, because they really wanted to engage with it. And, and as I said before, it's, it, it simplifies and demystifies complex subjects and, and it gives a, a platform for kids to engage with. And, I, you know, I think that's really important from our, our perspective. Great. I think we've got time for maybe one more. The gentleman near the back, yeah. I just wanted to ask the panel, uh, you know, do you think with obviously branded learning and, you know, large brands going into schools that there's a, there's a danger that both parents, teachers, education establishments can view your efforts as a kind of a Trojan horse to, you know, sell more product, sell more merch, uh, you know, drive more eyeballs to your channels and what the, what the you know, what the inherent dangers of that might be? I, 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 I think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a definite danger, there's an inherent danger that, 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 that badge-slapping kind of advertising operations will, will undergo. What I'd say to anybody is, if, if, you, if, you, if you're going to move your kind of media entity closer to education, I think you've got to want to be there because you want to be doing some education work. I think what, 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 the, the statistics of, of, what, of kids of all ages using devices, our media is, is, is more in their lives than ever. So in, in, in many ways, we could sit back and, and not do anything, but in, in many ways, the industry has probably an increasing, growing kind of moral obligation to find ways to bridge the gap between the media we produce and and um, um, and the education sector. Hopefully, at times, it will be ideas that come away, come out of that mixing mixing pot, without a brand attached to them. Um, but 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 obviously, the, the brand does gives gives the gives an, an initial impetus. But but hopefully, there's going to be projects that emerge that aren't a brand or may become a brand by actually being there in in that in that joined, joined up space. Um, I think. I think it has to be done well, otherwise that's a risk. It has to be high quality, it has to deliver educational benefit. I think there's huge benefit in, in parents seeing some of this activity in action so that they can see that actually if it's to improve young people's numeracy and literacy, if it's to enhance their skills, their aspirations, and it's to improve their, their um, perspective on the world of work, then I think that the benefits are significant and that parents will be able to see that if done well. And I, I think there's a, we don't, I don't want to be naive into, or, or have a naivety around what we're talking about with education because, uh, you know, it's about learning and uh, when we, we, we seem to have slipped into education being the school and on the other side of their boundaries, but kids don't learn just as that, you know, they, they're, they're part of a massive ecosystem of uh, communities and hanging out and talking to each other and um, using apps and doing bits and pieces, so 
So although you know maybe being seen to jump over a fence as a way of getting access to that audience, it, it, it isn't that way around. The balance is actually in, in the arms of, of the media holders, and I think they just have a res I, I hope we feel like we have a responsibility to do good with that and, and make the world a better place again. I've said that twice, haven't I? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, I would just, just back up those those points. If you're going into this market, you have got to do it well. You have got to, you know, go into it with a robust kind of fashion because if you do it in a half-assed way you're, you're not going to do anybody any good. Great, I know some of our panel have to dash off now but I know for those of us that remain we're very happy to carry on the conversation. Hope you've enjoyed it, thanks to the volunteers, the tech team and obviously Susie, Dan, Catherine and Greg. Enjoy the rest of the conference.